If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is our number two of the World According to Zig podcast for this December 15th, 2018. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. Our number two is usually our interview hour, and this week is no exception. We are really excited to be joined by one of the, uh, the very few journalists that I actually respect, and I've respected him for a very long time, going all the way back to the Bill Clinton-Monica Lewinsky scandal, a story that uh, he had first, although his outlet at the time, Newsweek Magazine, would not allow him to publish it, so Matt Drudge ended up getting uh, most of the credit for breaking that uh, huge story. Well, he has also been all over and written a book about uh, the entire Trump campaign Russia controversy. Michael Isakoff, in Yahoo investigative reporter and the author of Russian Roulette, the inside story of Putin's war on America and the election of Donald Trump. Welcome to the podcast. Good to be with you. Michael, I'm a big fan of yours from way back and uh, so far back that uh, I, I want to reference, before we get into your, your Russian Roulette book, a, a miniseries that you were recently a part of called The Clinton Affair. Which, which I think um, may have some parallels to what we're going to be experiencing in 2019 with regard to uh, President Trump. And that is the story of the impeachment of Bill Clinton, which you were an integral part of. You were the guy who really had the story and until Newsweek killed it at the very last moment. By the way, you and I have something in common, which I'm sure you don't know about. We both had a, uh, the biggest scoops of our career killed by Newsweek magazine at the very last moment. <laughs> what was yours? I'll tell you about that later. Um, you're okay. going to love that story, I promise. But um, I, I am fascinated because I was as uh, as knee-deep into that story as anybody was, but not as deep as you, because uh, you, you had it nailed and, and really had the scoop until, as I mentioned, Newsweek uh, killed it at the last moment. You were a big part of this Clinton affair, which aired on Amazon and A&E, and I watched all seven hours of it, and I was fascinated because I thought I knew that story cold, and there was a lot of things that I learned that I did not know I'm curious, what was your analysis of the Clinton Affair miniseries, and did you learn anything that you didn't previously know? Well, first of all, I thought it was very well done, and I thought it laid out the story uh, pretty clearly, uh, and, um, you know, I think people had a chance to uh, hear from Monica Lewinsky, uh, who was, I thought, incredibly articulate and thoughtful, um, and it gave people another perspective, especially when contrasted with the kind of slut-shaming that went on uh, after the story uh, broke, in which uh, uh, you know, various uh, folks uh, aligned with the president uh, tried to uh, cast aspersions on her character and her uh, um, sexuality and, you know, overall demeanor, uh, and uh, and I thought that was, uh, you know, to, to hear Monica in her own voice tell the story from her perspective um, was, I thought, um, you know, very powerful. Uh, but also, to me, uh, you know, the fact that they presented the Paula Jones story in a straightforward light 
uh, interviewing her, I think people uh, took away for the first time uh, the fact that uh, she made some very credible and serious allegations against uh, Bill Clinton, uh, in my mind, more serious than the uh, Lewinsky fair itself. Um, and that there was a lot of corroboration to her story, uh, and it was um, dismissed, and, and she was demeaned by the president's defenders at the time. That would not happen today in the Me Too movement. Um, and then, of course, uh, culminating with the Juanita Broderick story, which you know was, of course, the most serious allegation against Bill Clinton at all. And to hear from uh, my former colleague, Lisa Myers, about all the... Um, work she did to uh, investigate Juanita Broderick's story and uh, reach the conclusion that she did, that Juanita Broderick was telling the truth about the sexual assault she experienced from Bill Clinton um, while he was attorney general of the state of Arkansas, the chief law enforcement officer of the state, um, was something that I think opened a lot of people's eyes uh, to uh, uh, Bill Clinton's conduct and saw the Lewinsky Fair is not an isolated lapse by him uh, in, a, in a consensual affair, but part of a continuum of misconduct uh, that uh, with women that you know went on for much of his public career. Exceedingly well said, Michael. And, and you've already uh, implied where I wanted to go with what I learned uh, from the, the Clinton affair. And I'm a big believer, and I think we're going to see it with Trump-Russia, that, that the timing of public revelations is key to how a story turns out and where i'm going with this is is with regard to monica lewinsky i was unaware of the voluminous amount of information that was almost effectively in the public record through pictures videos obviously the conversations that were not in the public record yet between her and linda tripp uh, all sorts of other things that made the notion that Bill Clinton decided in his first impulse to lie publicly about that affair completely absurd. And had had that uh, amount of information been in the bu- in public sphere immediately after he decided to lie, and as you already said, go on the sluts and nuts defense against her, it's my belief that this whole Clinton story could have turned out very differently because he smartly understood, or maybe just did this by accident, that if you delay and you delay and delay and people get tired of the story and they're no longer shocked by the revelation when it turns out that you admit that you did in fact lie and there's the blue dress and all this, by that time the, the country has basically moved on. And, I, and I'm wondering, did you were obviously privy to wait? I, I, I think I, I think you nailed it. That's exactly what happened. Um, Clinton made a cold political calculation, um, and he was right about it. I mean that you know delay this, attack the prosecutor, and look, there were legitimate grounds to attack the Ken Starr operation uh, and the haste with which they jumped on the Monica Lewinsky um, uh, phase of their investigation uh, from the start. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, to this day, there were reasonable grounds to question um, whether they were the right people to do it and the way they did it and whether the way they approached the matter was the right way to do it. I think all that was legitimate, as you, as I think I conveyed in the um, in the documentary, and, and certainly in my book, Uncovering Clinton. I mean, I was shocked when I learned that Ken Starr uh, had um, launched this investigation into the Lewinsky matter. Uh, I, I was aware of Monica Lewinsky for months prior to that. I knew what the allegations were. I knew that they were being pursued by the Paula Jones lawyers, but I never expected that it was going to become part of the Whitewater investigation. But Michael, were you? Uh, but Michael, were you also shocked? Getting back to my my inquiry, that, that Clinton had the balls to lie about this because you had to know this was absurd that he was trying to. Well, uh, yeah, of course, of course, and but then again. I mean, Clinton lied routinely about his relations with women, uh, as I think I made the case again in in Uncovering Clinton. This was always um, 
uh, a part of Clinton's uh, uh, political career. I mean, he knew he was a serial womanizer. Um, he knew that um, he used state troopers routinely uh, to procure and uh, sexual trysts and protect him during sexual trysts. Uh, he was reckless to the extreme, and the only way to deal with it was to routinely lie and attack the accuser. So that was the way he is survived in Arkansas. That's the way he survived in the 1992 presidential campaign when he lied about Jennifer Flowers. Um, and there are some parallels uh, between Jennifer Flowers and Stormy Daniels, which we can discuss. Right. Um, uh, and so, of course, he was going to lie when confronted with the Lewinsky allegations. That's what he did. Well, in the case of the Lewinsky matter, he had the misfortune to lie under oath, and that's what got him impeached. All right. I want to, before we get to comparing this to Trump, which I'm going to be fascinated by your, your uh, thoughts on, I have one curiosity question about the, the whole Clinton-Lewinsky situation that you might be the, the best person in the world to ask. And um, I've always been curious and confused as to whether or not Linda Tripp and Monica Lewinsky becoming, for lack of a better term, friends, uh, was an amazing coincidence, or was this somehow a setup uh, on the part of one or both of them uh, trying to achieve their own personal agendas? Do you have an opinion on that, based upon... (laughs) Look, sometimes weird stuff really does happen, and uh, and this is one of those... You know, bizarre cases where, you know, Monica Lewinsky, you know, found as a confidant of all people, Linda Tripp, a woman who, you know, had animus towards the Clinton White House, who had worked at the Clinton White House, um, who had contempt for the president and was willing to um, exploit it in order to... um, so you think it was mostly make her, coincidental? Make her mess, get her message out and, you know, potentially profit from it. I, I'm, I'm not convinced it was totally coincidental, although I'm open well, to that. I, I, listen, I, I mean, I don't know how you would how or who could have arranged oh no 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 i'm an ant michael i'm an anti-conspiracy person i'm not alleging a conspiracy i I am i am the most anti-conspiracy person on the planet because i don't think human beings are smart enough to be able to pull them off uh but 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 let me let me not that i want to get too deeply into it but i actually think and and the the clinton affair kind of led me more in this direction because monica is a very smart person i mean she is really sharp and it's clear she knew what was going on i think there's a part of monica that wanted linda linda tripp to break this story open because i think she was part of her felt betrayed by bill clinton and she do you do you not see that at all or do you think i mean look it's an interesting psychological theory i mean i know she was obviously appalled and horrified that uh, when the story became public i'm quite confident of that uh you know whether subconsciously subconscious uh, right so you know there's an element of what you're talking about that i mean you know that's uh, beyond my uh, <laughs> expertise. As fair, a fair enough. Fair enough, okay. Michael. Okay, so so let's start to, to transition to from Clinton to Trump, and uh, let's forget for a moment the Russian angle, which is the focus of your book, Russian Roulette, which we will get to. But based, let's just try to isolate what we now think we know about the Michael Cohen National Enquirer, Stormy Daniels. Uh, and and, the uh, McDougal, Karen McDougal story. Let's just isolate that and and try to put it in a capsule and compare that, that we believe we know, to what we already know about what happened with Bill Clinton and why he was impeached. Could you compare and contrast the level of, of, of seriousness and and illegality involved in those two situations? All right. Well, um, uh, look, uh, with Donald Trump, 
um, I think it's fair to say we do not have the full, complete evidence of what prosecutors have uh, in the Southern District have uh, already accumulated uh, in the Michael Cohen uh, uh, plea and the uh, non-prosecution agreement with AMI, the parent company of the National Enquirer. The key unanswered, you know, they, it's already clear that the government has said that Michael Cohen um, committed two federal felonies in coordination with and at the direction of Donald Trump. That's clearly very serious, uh, you know, and those felonies are violations of the campaign finance laws. Um, but, and there's a big but, we don't know exactly what Cohen's testimony is about his conversations with the president or then candidate Trump. Uh, that led him to make the payments he did. He has said, as he did, you know, in the interview with George Stephanopoulos, that the president knew it was wrong. But in what sense did the president know it was wrong? Did he know it was a violation of campaign finance laws? Did a discussion of the night of the 2016 election specifically come up when he directed uh, Michael Cohen to make these payments? Um, I think a lot rests on that, because the ultimate defense that uh, Trump will have is the same defense that John Edwards uh, used at trial to get off on very similar allegations, and that is, I didn't make, uh, uh, these payments were not for the purpose of um, the election, it was for the purpose of uh, uh, concealing my affair from my wife to uh, avoid embarrassment of my family. That's what John Edwards argued successfully, because the Justice Department brought <clears throat> charges against him, and he was... But Michael, as you well yeah. know, though, just to interrupt, sorry to interrupt you, but just, just as you well know, Trump is in a far weaker position than John Edwards, if only because of the fact he's been married twice before and bragged about affairs to the press during sure, those marriages, I, 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 I understand that, and his credibility on anything at this point is about as low as it can be with a substantial segment of the American public. But that said, we still need to know exactly what the evidence is uh, on this case, and that involves hearing the testimony of number one, David Pecker, who uh, the publisher of the National Enquirer, who met with. Trump in August of 2015 and had discussions about uh, 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 the killing stories that could be embarrassing to him during his campaign for president. And we have not heard the testimony of Michael Cohen about exactly what his conversations with uh, Trump uh, consisted of and whether he has tapes of those conversations. We don't know that. Um, and, you know, look, Michael Cohen's word against Donald Trump's word is, you know, a, a, a contest between two people with very low credibility. Right. right? right. So uh, all, all I'm saying is as to whether or not these will ultimately sustain charges, whether criminal or for the purposes of impeachment against Bill Clinton, uh, I'm sorry, against Donald Trump, you need to know exactly what the evidence is. I understand. I get all that. Right. And, and, and so, I, and, but if, if let's pretend, though, for a second, that what has been credibly alleged is true. Do you have an opinion on where this r- relates in comparison to what got Bill Clinton impeached? Well, look, there are certainly parallels. Um, uh, you know, in the case of Stormy Daniels, which is... Um, the one payment directly linked to um, Trump. Uh, it was his money that reimbursed Michael Cohen for the $130,000 that, um, uh, that she was paid off. Uh, what's Stormy Daniels' account? That she had a single sexual encounter with um, Donald Trump in 2006. So, you know, 10 years before, in the past, before these, these payments were made, she had one sexual encounter. Now, parallel with Bill Clinton, 
Jennifer Flowers is the parallel with, with Bill Clinton. I'll remind you of a couple of things. Um, if you go back and look, Bill Clinton got, when, when there were first reports or rumors that Jennifer Flowers was going to come forward and talk about an affair with Bill Clinton, um, Bill Clinton arranged to get her a state job, an Arkansas state job right. at taxpayer expense right. with the Arkansas Appeals Tribunal as a public relations consultant. There was another candidate for that job who was far more qualified, a woman by the name of Charlotte Perry. You can Google all this. And uh, political appointees at that tribunal arranged to give Jennifer Flowers the job instead of um, uh, instead of Charlotte Perry. And then on the tapes that Jennifer Flowers secretly made of her conversations with Bill Clinton, they actually have a discussion about this in which Jennifer Flowers brings up the state job and Clinton says, oh, I forgot about that. Um, uh, well, all you have to do is deny, deny, deny uh, that you ever spoke to me about it. So there is a parallel of Clinton concealing his affair with Jennifer Flowers um, on, during the 1992 presidential campaign, if the you know impeachable offense against Donald Trump would be he concealed a past affair from the public and therefore deprived the voters of information they would want to know before they went to the polls, you can say the same thing about Bill Clinton. But I don't think anybody ever thought that the Jennifer Flowers matter and Clinton's uh, arrangements to conceal that from the voters in 1992 was grounds for impeachment. And by the way, at the end of the day, um, uh, when Clinton finally owned up in his uh, Paula Jones deposition to having had a sexual encounter with um, Jennifer Flowers, he admitted to only one, <laughs> the exact equal to the number of times yeah, but, Donald Trump but nobody believes uh, had that. a sexual encounter with Stormy Daniels. I, so, you know, I mean, make of that what you will. Right. Look, you know, Trump's problem is that the federal prosecutors in New York have deem this to be a campaign finance violation and a felony at that. Right. Now, there are a lot of legal questions about whether that will, you know, ultimately hold up. Right. You know, one question that I've posed to people who are experts in campaign finance law is um, the logic of the charge is that if Donald Trump, if the Trump campaign had reported on its FEC reports $130,000 in hush money to Stormy Daniels. Would that have been deemed a legitimate campaign expense by the FEC? And nobody knows the answer to that question right. because there's no precedent for it. Right. But that's the logic of you know, the charge that this is a campaign expense, right? Now, I get, what, um, I get what you're saying, Michael, but there's actually an element to this that um, I, I think the media is missing. That I think which is. is which is where I think the real scandal is, and and I, this actually gets us much closer to your Russian roulette book, and and that's this, the, the element of this that to me is f the by far the most dangerous for someone who is running for president. They weren't running for for a state legislature or a Congress or even a senator. They were running for president of the United States, commander in chief. Donald Trump knowingly engaged in a deal with the National Enquirer, which I consider yeah. to be effectively a borderline terrorist organization. Just look, look, talk, talk about fake news, huh? Right, right. But, <laughs> yeah. but, 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 Michael, I come from this from this perspective. I know what they did to Tiger Woods. People don't know the real Tiger Woods story. They, they set Tiger Woods up and destroyed him, and in very much the same way that they could have easily done with Donald Trump. In fact, they did with, with Tiger Woods what they tried to do with Karen McDougal. And, and so this is their M.O. And Donald Trump took the oath of office knowing that he was leveraged with, with, by the National Enquirer who had more blackmail information on him than maybe Vladimir Putin could ever dream of having. Who, the, who knows what they did with that, who they sold it to, who they shared it with. 
That to me, that to me is the real scandal. All legitimate questions, and how odd that you know what was the allegation that got everybody worked up about Trump and Russia from the get-go, and that was the sensational, still uncorroborated allegation in the Steele dossier that uh, uh, Trump had prostitutes in his hotel room uh, in Moscow urinating uh, on each other, and that the um, uh, and that the FSB had a tape of it. Right. So it was sexual compromise. <laughs> Right. That existed on Donald Trump uh, that really, uh, you know, kicked off the uh, the Russia story into uh, in, into but, outer orbit, shall we say? Although there's plenty well, of other. Well, I want to talk Russia to I want to talk to you about that in a second. Talk about, but 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 just you know, the irony here is, you know. Steele may be right, but it wasn't the Kremlin had had the sexual compromise on Donald Trump. It was the National Enquirer that had the but, sexual But, compromise. Michael, how do we know that the National Enquirer didn't sell that? Well, we don't, but uh, certainly one would want to hear, as I said before, to hear from David Pecker, and I think that, you know, he, he would be a prime witness for the... Well, Democrats in the in the House of Representatives, when they take power in just a few short weeks, to call as a witness to answer that very question. Have you ever seen the National Enquirer do a cover story negative about Vladimir Putin? Uh, no, I, I have I not. Haven't. I have not either. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I don't know that I'm a religious uh, reader of the National Enquirer. No. <laughs> Okay, but, but I, may have, I may have missed a few. All right, well, let's get directly to your book, Russian Roulette. And you've already, I, I was going to get to this later, but since you mentioned it, I'll get to it right now. Uh, you mentioned the Steele dossier, which yeah. to me has been unfairly uh, derided, uh, especially by Trump fans, because a lot of the, uh, would you agree that a lot of what's in the, the Steele dossier has been at least somewhat vindicated? Would you agree with that assessment? No. You would not? No. Tell me why. Tell me why. I look, I think as we wrote in the book, and by the way, it's uh, the, the book is by myself and David Korn, right. we wrote it together. Um, I think in broad strokes, uh, Christopher Steele was clearly on to something, uh, that there were, uh, that there was a, uh, a major uh, a, a Kremlin effort to interfere in our elections, that there were, that they were um, uh, trying to help Trump's campaign, and that there were multiple contacts between uh, people in between various Russian figures uh, uh, close to the government and various people in the Trump campaign. That much, I think, has been established by the public record. When you actually get into the details of the Steele dossier, the specific allegations, um, you know, we have not seen the evidence to support them. And in fact, there's good grounds to think that um, some of the more sensational allegations uh, will never be proven and are likely false. That's so in- I, I think it's a, it's a mixed record at best at this point. Um, things could change. Mueller may yet produce evidence that changes this calculation, but based on the public record at this point, I have to say that most of the specific allegations uh, have not been borne out. That's interesting to hear you say that, Michael, because as I'm sure you're well aware, your book uh, was kind of used indirectly to try to validate the P-tape, for lack of a better term. uh, Because I mean, I, I think we had some evidence in there of uh, an event or, or that may have inspired the P-tape, uh, and that was the uh, visit that Trump made with a number of, uh, uh, of characters who later showed up in Moscow, specifically uh, Emin Aguilarov and Rob Goldstone, uh, to this raunchy Las Vegas nightclub where one of the regular acts was uh, a... Uh, a skit called Hot for Teacher, in which uh, dancers posing as college co-eds urinated right. on their, or simulated urinating right. on their professor, um, which struck me as uh, an odd coincidence at right. best. And I think that, the, you know, it is not implausible that uh, 
that event um, may have inspired uh, an urban legend allegations uh, that uh, um, uh, that appeared in the Steele dossier, but it's not proof that the specific allegation in the Steele dossier uh, ever took place, much less that the Russians have a tape of it. Now, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Michael. And in fact, I, you're probably not aware. I, I wrote a column when your book came out saying that while a lot of people are using your book to show that the P-tape is real, I think it does the opposite. Because to me, you've just provided in your book, Russian Roulette, a perfectly logical explanation for how that becomes an urban legend, that those two stories get conflated, that that when those guys go back to Russia, this becomes part of the Trump narrative. Hey, we, we, we did this thing in Vegas and they were peeing on people. And, and then that somehow gets back to steel in the whisper down the lane phenomenon. And, and what we have here is an urban legend of two different things. By the way, Trump might have been with prostitutes in Moscow and he might even been taped. Right. <laughs> Right. I would not rule anything out. I just, you know, as a journalist, I have to stick to what the evidence is. No, but is. I'm, I agree. To say people have made, you know, uh, uh, Herculean efforts to try to verify various aspects of the Steele dossier. And, you know, like I say, when it comes to the granular particulars, I have not seen um, right. uh, that evidence uh, pan out. I'll give you another one that I think is, you know, perhaps... Uh, you know, on point, and I can uh, uh, look at you know more recent public record, and that is the the uh, the claim that Michael Cohen uh, flew to Prague to meet with uh, Russian uh, various Kremlin figures to discuss coordination between the Trump campaign and the Kremlin. Uh, now, uh, Michael Cohen adamantly denied that. Uh, in his congressional testimony. He couldn't have been more emphatic about that point. Um, Michael Cohen had to plead to lying to Congress about uh, his account of the Moscow, uh, the Trump Tower Moscow project, which I thought actually was very serious, and we can can discuss that, um, because that took place during the pendency of the campaign, um, and uh, it was something that was... that, that, That was highly relevant information that was concealed from the voters uh, uh, during, the, um, during the 2016 campaign. Um, he wasn't charged with lying about his denials about ever flying to Prague to meet with Russian figures. You know, after you get through the P-tape, the Michael Cohen uh, allegation in the Steele dossier, you know, may be the next most important one. Yes. Because there's somebody very close to Donald Trump who's directly meeting with Russian figures about having discussions about coordination between collusion, as it were, between the, the Russians and the Trump campaign. But, you know, if why wasn't he charged with lying about it if that's what he did? That would have been a, as, as, as serious a lie as the lie he told about the Trump Tower Moscow project. Michael, I, I could um, not agree with you more. I think that's an outstanding point and one that I have been uh, telling people to, to think about. Why, you know, If there was collusion, Cohen would, uh, would have been uh, at least uh, knowledgeable of it. So why is Cohen not uh, blabbing about this? now that he, he uh, uh, clearly right. he's in the free now there is but is there an argument i don't know the answer to this is there an argument because i've had people say this in response well this is stuff that Mueller would want him to remain silent about is there is there any credibility to that idea well look uh, all i can say is usually what you would do if he was a crucial witness for Mueller in you know what is clearly the most important federal investigation going on right now but uh, you would not bring, uh, you would not uh, uh, go to sentencing on that witness. What you do is hold off sentencing until you've gotten full cooperation from that witness, and you've, whatever other trials or testimony you're going to bring, whatever cases you're going to bring against others, you hold off sentencing your crucial witness until after they've delivered the testimony that you want at trial or wherever you want it. Now, uh, you know, what that says to me is that they're not using Michael Cohen 
for a Mueller isn't for another case because if they were, they wouldn't have allowed the sentencing to go forward. Interesting. Um, so uh, you know, I, there are you know there are things blocked out in the sentencing, blocked out in the sentencing Cohen sentencing memo. It's always possible that there's cards Mueller's got to play that we haven't seen. But I do think it's odd right. that two. Two witnesses, two very important witnesses, Michael Cohen and Michael Flynn, are going to sentencing um, without us seeing them in federal court testifying against somebody else, because normally that wouldn't happen. That's an incredibly important and interesting point. And but although you know, let, let's be clear, Michael Cohen did uh, tweet a photo of his uh, passport. Uh, the, you know, closed passport. So clearly, that's proof enough that he never went to Prague. Um, well, I, you know, look, there's always, you know, people <laughs> have suggested that there were, you know, other ways around it. He could, he did fly to Italy, uh, you know, while in Italy. Could right. he, uh, you know, no, I, I was joking because it was the outside of the passport. To the Czech Republic. I, I mean, I, you know, look, I, my, what I'm, what I'm resting my, you know, tentative conclusion on this point is the uh, uh, the evidence we've seen from Mueller and, you know, more notably, the lack of evidence we've seen from Mueller that go directly to the collusion allegations involving Cohen. I, I agree with that, and that leads me to Michael Flynn, because I am equally, if not more so, confused. And again, uh, to be clear, I, and it sounds like you're in the same place, I'm not convinced that there was quote-unquote collusion, depending on how you define that. Uh, there was certainly a lot of highly inappropriate uh, contacts and a lot of smoke that I'd like to find out more about. But well, yeah. let's let's pretend, see, one of the things I'm having trouble wrapping my brain around, and maybe you can help me, is if there was any sort of actual collusion or conspiracy to collude, whatever you want to call it, Michael Flynn, you would think, would be at the heart of it. I mean, here's a guy who was literally on the payroll of the Russian government during the campaign, went to Russia, sat with Vladimir Putin at a gala, uh, you know, was in the in the position to be able to make things happen during, both during the campaign and during the transition, which is, you know, effectively when it when it ended up getting uh, him convicted because of lies that he told about his conversation with the Russian ambassador uh, during the transition. But But here's the thing. He's getting no jail time, it looks like. Now, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around, Michael, how it is that uh, if there was collusion, uh, that Michael Flynn wouldn't be a part of it. And if he was a part of it, how does he get away with no jail time? I, I can't, I can't uh, square that I circle. I think you're asking very on-point questions. I think those are uh, exactly the same questions I had in my mind. Um, I also, when I saw the Flynn sentencing memo, uh, I also have read that memo about 15 times. And if you read it closely, what you see is that Michael Flynn gave substantial assistance in a case that is an open investigation, but it's not part of Mueller's investigation. It's about something else. It could have involved the Turkish lobbying efforts. It could have involved some business deals in the Middle East. We don't know. Um, but we do know it's not part of the Mueller investigation. When you look at what the sentencing memo says about the uh, testimony he provided on the core Russia investigation, they use words like useful and relevant and assisted. They do not say substantial cooperation. Substantial cooperation are the magic words you use as a prosecutor, prosecutor when you're telling the judge, this guy, this defendant, gave us information, testimony, that we can use to make cases against somebody else, that we can put somebody else in prison. So he did that, but not in the core Russia investigation. So to me, that leaps out and is significant. Right. Um, you and, know, and then, and then, and then, have not heard from Michael Cohen's, I'm, I'm sorry, from Michael Flynn's full account. We still don't know why he lied about his conversations with uh, Ambassador Kislyak. And, you know, right. that's 
a big question mark in my mind one would want to hear from Michael Flynn about. But I'm just saying at the end of the day, if you read the Mueller memo, sentencing memo closely, it doesn't get you to where a lot of people would like it to be. I couldn't agree with you more on that, Michael. And and just to finish that thought, I felt that way before uh, Flynn's filing yesterday. Was it yesterday or the day before? There's so much been happening, yeah. I, I forget. But but Flynn's lawyers put in His a filing, lawyers, right, suggesting it, he was somehow set up, right, by well, Andrew McCabe and, and right. Peter Strzok. And he, I mean, so look, you know, that's you know, we'll see. We'll see how the judge uh, deals with that uh, during sentencing uh, this this coming week. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that, A, Flynn lied, um, and, B, Mueller has not produced evidence suggesting that Flynn's lies, you know, have given him testimony that he can use right, but to just, prosecute somebody else. Right, but just to, to finish the point, the whole premise behind Flynn getting no jail time recommendation from Mueller is that he was super cooperative, but that filing was the opposite of super cooperative. He's blaming the FBI uh, and, and effectively saying he's not even guilty. So that, to me crushes the theory because a lot of the pro-collusion people were saying oh Flynn has been so helpful that's why he's getting no jail time and and what I'm suggesting is wait a minute may and you're you're backing this up maybe that's not the case maybe he just didn't have it very much to provide yeah, look, and, I mean generally if you're going to use a witness um, to make a more serious charge against somebody else you know, the prosecutor wants that witness, cooperating witness, to plead to some element of the more serious charge, because that gives that witness a lot more credibility when you go into court and, and, and that witness takes the stand and, and the witness owns up to the conduct. Right. I'll give you another example that, you know, just happened uh, just this week as well. Maria Butina. Oh, we'll get um, to her. Pleads guilty to uh, one count of failing to register as a foreign agent of the Russian government. Um, now, what got me and a lot of other people worked up about the Maria Butina case from the get-go, and we do write about her in Russian roulette, um, had a lot of interesting things to say about her and her uh, uh, techniques as a uh, agent of the Russian government was the possibility that she was helping her handler Alexander Torshin, the Russian deputy central banker who was uh, accused of uh, suspected of money laundering in, in uh, by the Spanish National Police and nearly arrested, that they were funneling money to the NRA mm-hmm. that. Part of that $30 million, an unprecedented amount, that the NRA spent in the 2016 election to help elect Donald Trump was foreign money from the Russians, laundered by Alexander Torshin with the assistance of Maria Butina. It would have been the biggest campaign finance crime ever, Um, one of the biggest money laundering cases ever, if that were true. If it were true, Maria Butina would have been right in the middle of it, and they would not, they, the government, would not have let her plead to a relatively minor charge of a single count of failing to register as a foreign agent. She would have had to have pled to money laundering and a conspiracy to violate the campaign finance laws, and she did not do that. So that tells me that the government doesn't have the evidence to back up what a lot of us suspected, which was that Russian money may have gone in to the NRA's coffers to help elect Donald Trump president. Okay, wow. So what I'm hearing, Michael, uh, and I know you're going to correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you, the co-author of Russian Roulette, it sounds to me like you think that the case for, quote-unquote, collusion is imploding. Is that... Um, Look, I think the case we made in Russian roulette, that the Russian government launched an unprecedented effort 
to uh, interfere in our democratic process um, uh, is rock solid. I think that that case has been more than um, uh, supported by Robert Mueller's uh, uh, investigation. Uh, the uh, the uh, indictment against the uh, GRU, Russian military intelligence hackers, who uh, stole thousands of internal emails from the DNC and then provided them to, to WikiLeaks and stole thousands of emails from uh, John Podesta, uh, from John Podesta's Gmail account and provided them to WikiLeaks. That is real. That happened, um, much to the um, discomfort of the president's defenders. That's real. Um, there were multiple contacts between the Trump campaign uh, figures and various uh, uh, figures in the Kremlin, associated with the Kremlin. Um, and there were points at which, such as the Trump Tower meeting, that the, uh, the Trump campaign, uh, its top operatives, Donald Trump Jr., Paul Manafort, Jared Kushner, acted in ways that was clearly inappropriate and that they shouldn't have done, and they concealed this from the voters. And the Moscow uh, Tower project going on through June of 2016 with direct conversations between Michael Cohen and uh, a, uh, uh, an assistant to Dmitry Peskov, the press secretary to Vladimir Putin, was, um, it was incredibly significant, concealed from the voters, and gives the lie to Donald Trump's repeated statements during the campaign that he had nothing to do with Russia, that nobody connected to his campaign had any contacts with uh, anybody in Russia. I mean, the president during the campaign as a candidate seriously misled the American public about what what was a very important issue, and that were, was, you know, the questions about what the Russians were up to and his own dealings with the Russians. So all of that is true. All of that, which we laid out in Russian roulette and reached the conclusion that um, the, the, Donald Trump aided and embedded a criminal conspiracy by the Russians to attack our democracy. I think all that holds up. Whether that translates to the magic word, quote, collusion, whether that translates into criminal charges against others in the Trump campaign, which is what many people want it to add up to, um, we're not there, and I think the evidence is growing that we're likely not going to be there. Um, you know, I, I could be wrong about this. There are you know, other cards that Mueller may have to play, but all the signs to me are that Mueller is reaching his endgame, and you know, we may see less than what many people want him to find. Fascinating. Um, I, I, I have a few more questions for you, Michael, um, because you've been very generous with your time. But but we've gotten there's a couple more things I think are really important here. And I, I totally get where you're coming from on this issue of, hey, maybe this case isn't building the way that the media wants it to. And I'm always very suspicious whenever the media wants a narrative to be true, that they're going to have confirmation bias. And, uh, and are you seeing confirmation bias? in the? In, yeah, in, I mean, look, I, I think these sentencing memos are kind of like uh, Rorschach tests right. in which you can read them in, you know, one light in which they suggest you know, more bombshells to come, or you can read them the way I'm reading them and, you know, I'm not seeing it. So, right. um, you know, there are those blacked out portions and, you know, there could be, uh, uh, look, I, I expect that Mueller's going to have more uh, in his report, uh, you know, especially right. also on the obstruction phase in particular. Uh, you know, I think there are details that are going to be highly awkward and uh, embarrassing for the president and, uh, you know, is going to um, uh, uh, infuriate a lot of people in Congress, will be the cause for more congressional hearings, and will allow um, various Democrats like Adam Smith shift to say, aha, you see, uh, you know, they were, they, they were covering stuff up. Mm -hmm. I, I fully expect that. Well, um, Michael, one of the things I always try to... I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, no, but but I'm not seeing what I 
told you I'm not seeing before, which right. is, you know, the... Uh, a conspiracy uh, of, to the, collude. The, yeah, the, that, that Mueller's got a serious collusion conspiracy charge to bring. One of the things I always do, and I think you do the same, is I, I try to come up with a narrative or a scenario that is consistent with all the things that we know for sure. And I've had a really tough time, and I'm sure you probably have too, coming up with a narrative that fully explains all the things that we think we know about this case. Because I, I can't come to the, uh, the conclusion that there was, quote unquote, collusion. But it's all, there's also a lot of other stuff that makes me go, wait a minute, isn't that collusion? Uh, like the Maria Butina situation certainly seems awfully a lot like collusion and and by the way i know paul erickson i'm stunned that paul erickson was involved in that whole situation and i have a feeling he he might have uh had his uh, romantic uh, uh side of himself uh taken advantage of i don't know that for a fact yeah, but not, not, not the first man to fall into right. that uh, uh lapse right yeah. ex- exactly but but l- let me throw a scenario at you and i'm, I'm curious if if this is close to where you are what if, using the affair analogy, uh, what if this whole thing, this whole Russia-Trump uh, campaign relationship was like an affair that almost happened? Both parties wanted it to happen, but it, they never actually got together. They it never really, they never actually hooked up. And that there, there was, but there was enough evidence making it look like there was an affair. That it that, was a flirtation. Right, but, but it was an extended flirtation. Right, uh, and, and that, and that, and that, like a husband who's concerned about his wife thinking he had an affair that he didn't actually have, he covers up an affair that didn't actually happen, and that would explain at least some of the voluminous lying by the Trump campaign. Does that is does that scenario make yeah, sense that, to you? That's an, that's an interesting analogy. I hadn't thought about it in quite that way, but you know. Makes sense. Um, you could be onto something there. Where are you? What, what's your scenario? No, no, no. I mean, listen. I I think that's a uh, uh, at this point a you know extremely plausible uh, uh, analogy uh, that um, uh, that there was enough there. You know, just take what we've learned in the last couple of weeks about the Trump Tower Moscow project. There's enough there to give. Trump reason to want to lie about his efforts to do business in Russia. Um, and even though he never ultimately did do a deal in Russia, um, it's his lies that today uh, look so egregious now that we've learned more facts, because there was much more to his efforts to do business in Russia than um, he then was shared with the voters. Let me throw a few things at you that that. Uh, and then I'm going to have to go in a few no, minutes. No, I understand. So, I know okay. we're we're wrapping right. up. But let, but okay. let me let me just throw a couple quick things at you that are uh, in the the things that make you go hmm uh, category. And I'm going to play for you this this uh, clip that's not nearly as famous as it should be, but I'm sure you're very familiar with it. Uh, and this was Nora O'Donnell talking to Paul Manafort, then the campaign chairman for the Trump campaign uh, around the time of the Republican convention. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. Michael, how, how is that clip not known by every American? <laughs> you know, I'm certainly familiar with it. I've seen it a number of times. Uh, I think Manafort, you know, is uh, uh, clearly... Uh, feeling in a little bit of an awkward situation there because, uh, you know, he probably suspects, you know, there's a lot there, but he's not going to admit it. Um, so he was lying. Um, yeah, although, you know, to be fair to him, I mean, a convicted liar, uh, uh, Manafort, um, you know, who knows, who knows what he knew about uh, Trump's efforts to do business in Russia and his whatever relationships he had with various oligarchs. As we make clear in Russian roulette, I mean, Trump had uh, had signed two letters of intent to do business in Russia, one in 2013 uh, with the uh, Aguilarovs, um, uh, Aras Aguilera, for the first Trump Tower project. That's when he flew over to Moscow for the Miss Universe pageant. Um, and by the way, you know, there's an interesting backstory to that, that, you know, that project went... Uh, uh, you know, went much further than was ever 
known at the time. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. was put in charge of the project. Ivanka Trump flies to Moscow in February 2014 to scout potential sites with uh, Emin Agalarov, the pop singer's son of Aris Agalarov. But what happened in February 2014? Um, that's when Putin annexes Crimea. That leads to the sanctions by the United States and the EU. One of the sanctioned entities by the EU was Spurbank, the Russian state-owned bank that was going to finance the uh, Trump Tower project. Um, so if you want to understand Trump's hostility to sanctions against Russia, look no further than what happened to that first Trump Tower project. The sanctions killed his deal, the deal that he signed with Aguilarov. Um, so that <laughs> that informs everything Trump says and perhaps everything he would later say about the attitude he would take to Russia. He wanted to roll back the sanctions because it was the sanctions that screwed up his cherished Trump Tower project. Mm. That was number one. And then there was the second letter of intent, of course, on mm. the Trump Tower mo- uh, project that we've learned more about from Michael Cohen. Real quick, Michael, do, what do you know of anything, because I'm very suspicious of the fact that in 2014, Trump starts suddenly starts using tons of cash, uh, specifically to buy uh, golf courses that would normally be outside of, of his ability to obtain, specifically Turnberry and Doral. Uh, I know there's been some reporting in the golf journalism community that indicates there could be a Russian connection to that. You know anything there? I mean, I, I, I'm aware of the suspicions, uh, shall we say, about that. Um, I haven't seen the evidence of it. Um, I think it's fair to say there's a lot about the finances of the Trump organization that we don't know, um, which has given rise to um, the multiple suspicions people have about ties to organized crime and the Russians and the Saudis and all sorts of you know, unsavory characters all over the world. Um, and it's possible that the investigations in New York by the Southern District and the, um, uh, and, uh, the, you know, what appears to be a, a looming investigation from the New York Attorney General's office may uncover some of that. But, you know, look, I'm, you know, I'm a guy who wants to see the evidence. I investigate right. Right. allegations. Right. No, I understand. But until I can nail it down, uh, you know, I'm not prepared to reach speculative conclusions. Uh, understood. And, and that's why we like you. Uh, speaking of speculation, you ever heard uh, or, or thought about or, or um, have any information on the timing of the Access Hollywood tape, which I've always found yeah. to be very <laughs> suspicious? You know, I mean, look... Uh, I'm sure there were lots of people who wanted to get that out, who the actual uh, culprits are, uh, you know, who should probably be rewarded for what they did. I, I don't know. Okay. Um, Michael, uh, thanks so much for being very generous with your time. The book is Russian Roulette, the inside story of Putin's war on America and the election of Donald Trump. Some very fascinating information there. Make sure you get the book. And, uh, Michael, please keep in touch. Sure enough. That is the great Michael Isakoff, which uh, I thought was a fascinating interview, uh, considering the fact that uh, this is a guy who, let's face it, he wrote a book called Russian Roulette. And, you know, his self-interest, especially in this day and age when self-interest is everything, uh, even to so-called journalists, would be to promote the Russian collusion narrative. But he does not do that. Now, Part of why he does not do that is he doesn't feel the facts back it up yet. He's still open to that eventually being the case. But I totally get where he's coming from, where specifically on Cohen, Flynn, and Butina, all of whom I talk about more in hour number one of this week's podcast, there are ways to interpret what has happened in the last week or so that is against the so-called collusion narrative. And I think that's what gives Michael Isikoff uh, so much credibility, which uh, he richly deserves. And again, we thank him for his time. Uh, Please make sure that you listen to hour number one, where I get into great detail on many of these uh, subjects that we discussed during the news hour of the podcast. And as always is the case, I only ask two things of you. Number one, uh, please make sure you share this podcast via Twitter, Facebook, social media, 
word of mouth, what have you. And number two, if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah, they're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh, no wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.